Hello and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. And you are in Season 4 of Wrestling at Random, where, as we've said, ad nauseum, the randomizer in this season is packed full, it is filled to the brim, it is running, it is smoking, steam is coming out of its proverbial ears. And with that, we've had several, whether it be pay-per-view events or TV shows that we've never covered before on the podcast. And this is, I believe, one of them. While we have had episodes of NWA, WCW TV, whether that be Saturday Night, World Championship Wrestling, Power Hour, Worldwide, Nitro. (laughs) We've we've almost hit them all. (laughs) We've almost hit them all until this week where maybe we put the final final checkmark on the board as it is an episode of the Sunday evening NWA slash WCW show from this era here. February 11th, 1990, NWA main event wrestling. I'm looking forward to recapping this episode uh, of a show we have not done yet, NWA main event. But before we do, uh, you mentioned the randomizer up top. For those of you who are just joining us for the first time, we see a lot of the new listeners flooding in here on on the metrics. So I want to welcome you and explain uh, explain how this works. So we take all of the internet's wrestling content. There's a ton of it, and we dump it into the randomizer. It's uh, busting at the seams. It's got we're talking all eras, all territories, anywhere where there's wrestling available on all corners of the internet. We have put it into the randomizer. We fire it up, and it will choose a show for us to watch. We review that show for you right here for free every single week. And boy, season four, uh, it is all over the place. The good news is uh, all those different types of TV shows that Adam mentioned at the top, those are all available right now for free in the back catalog of this podcast. So this is evergreen standalone content. It's like it just came out yesterday, except we're better podcasters every day. Uh, so go, <laughs> that is true. you can always go back into our archives and, and listen to, you can listen to the whole season start. You can start with season three. You can start with season two. You can pick and choose certain shows you want. You can, I highly recommend you going back and listen to every single episode here in season four. Very proud of uh, the work we're doing in season four. Season three, a ton of fun as well. And we are we make reference to a lot of stuff that you'll have to go back to season one and season two for as well. And it's so easy to do. They're all available to you right there. Uh, that is the that is how the show works. So we will review these shows and uh, try to we, we try to parachute in. And see, okay, I'm a I'm a viewer in 1990, and I'm watching this show. How good of a job are you doing catching me up on what's going on? Uh, and and what am I watching? What 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 is this show that you're putting on television? Is this something I that I would like as a fan? Which is really interesting when we get into a lot of the territories that we've never explored before here on the podcast. Yeah. Would this show have hooked me into becoming a wrestling fan? And like you said, sometimes, you know, you go back to like uh, championship wrestling from Florida where neither of us had ever seen a full episode of TV before. That was a fascinating show to do. And I think podcasts to listen to, because we came into it with open eyes while knowing who the wrestlers were. We had never watched an episode of that territory. Uh, Whereas something like this week, I I think will be interesting that while, as you said, we always both try to watch it through new eyes. This is one where, um, were you watching NWA, WCW regularly? 100%. I remember every single thing about this. We will talk about the Clash of the Champions 10. It was a few years later than where you dropped off. Because then there's an era of early 90s WCW where... Like, I was hardcore during this period. I was still hardcore during that period. And you had kind of dropped off for a little bit. But this Yes, I left in March of 92. In March of 92, I left professional wrestling, did not watch, and did not come back until uh, March of 1996. A four-year hiatus. A presidential term-length hiatus from the pro wrestling. From watching any sort of pro wrestling. That is my... My dark period, I did not see any pro wrestling there. So anything that shows up from the randomizer within that time period is all new to me. But- those are super fun shows to listen to, by the way. If you never have before, those shows from that 92 to 96 period where Jeremy was out, 
and he's aware of who obviously he's aware of who the wrestlers are and vaguely generally what was happening but you're seeing that really kind of strange era of wcw wwf and early ecw it's fun to hear your reactions to those things you never saw before yeah this however you're gonna hear my reactions of remembering this as being so cool as a child yes will it hold up <laughs> as i watch it on a rewatch because uh i did you know parachuting in you tell me it's going to be uh february 11th 1990 uh I don't have my bearings yet. I know we had Starcade '89, which was Future Shock, the uh, the round robin tournament. Yeah, uh, round so robin tournaments because we had the tag and singles round robin tournaments. Where I remember being so excited to rent that VHS. Oh, I watched it on um, pay per view. I was not allowed to order <laughs> pay per views at that point in my life. But renting on VHS and being so violently angry as a nine year old that the Great Muda lost all of his matches. <laughs> on that show that he didn't beat anybody no he was undefeated going into that yeah and then lost all of his matches lost to everyone and that his booking on that show was a part of the was a factor in him leaving wcw eventually and not that long after actually going back to new japan so i know that we're early into 1990 here but i don't really uh have my bearings yet of where we are until they start referencing clash of the champions 10 and I am whiplashed right back. <laughs> I know exactly where this is, and I know exactly what's going to happen. So I was very excited uh, to watch this show play out. So the show opens with Jim Ross and Missy Hyatt welcoming us. She's the new co-host of this show, and Be Still My Heart, uh, 1990. Missy Hyatt uh, was uh, one of my first crushes. Uh, definitely one of my first p- uh, female posters on the wall, for sure. The gold standard, I think, for any <laughs> growing up during this time period. Um, he also, so the show opens, Jim Ross welcomes uh, Missy Hyatt back to TBS. So is this after, I know Missy Hyatt had a very brief sojourn to the WWF that I don't know if it ever actually made tape. She yeah. had a few like talk show segments that, didn't work out well and they dropped her was this right after that or is this a different departure um i'm not sure exactly when i was uh re- looking through some old observer newsletters uh around this time period it was uh uh you know this was it, she was transitioning to from being a manager to now that's, broadcaster that's what it is i'm looking at it right now and yes her brief brief run in wwf was in 1987 and this was she had uh yeah, she had stopped being a manager and returned to her role as a commentator and host of WCW Main Event in 1990. Yep. Uh, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker is in the ring. His opponent, Norman the Lunatic. And We've he seen co- in quite a few different uh, formats here on this show. We've seen him as Mock and Sing in Stampede. In Stampede. Mm-hmm. We've seen him as Bastion Booger in the WWF, but here we see him as Norman the Lunatic, which we have seen him a few other times, I believe, on the show. What's most noteworthy to me, though, is we go to the arena. I am delirious with joy as this show is being broadcast from the Cobb County Civic Center. That it is. You'd always see that on the rundowns of where they were going to next on NWA or WCW shows. You'd always hear about the Cobb County Civic Center. They did TV tapings there, and this was, in fact, tape at the Cobb County Civic Center. It somehow both looks tiny and huge at the same time, which is a strange thing for a building to look, but it's got like one balcony, if you can call it that, but then the floor is actually really well lit compared to other small arenas of that time period. And it's packed. And not only is it packed, it is packed with kids in the front row. This is a very, very young crowd. I almost wonder if this was like a daytime school field trip type of taping it just has a really different vibe he comes out to his theme song make me want to (laughs) shout and the music on this show is incredible and it's not edited out because this is a a bootleg copy of the actual show as it aired rather than something that is on uh something like peacock or the wwe network 
We're told that Norman will face Cactus Jack at Wrestle War. But, uh, and but, uh, we're gonna we're gonna run down a lot of the matches that are going to uh, that are that are scheduled for Wrestle War, and this card was stacked and sounded awesome. And I and I'm it's one of those uh, shows that what could have been. Yes. Uh, yes. And we'll <laughs> so we, you will go through we'll run the gamut of emotions of what could have been and what ended up being as we go through the show in the very end of the show. This is a Quite the eventful episode of Main Event. Jim Ross is on commentary with Michael P.S. Hayes. So Missy Hyatt is just like the host with Jim Ross in between matches, but not commentary. That's Michael P.S. Hayes, who we never see. Yeah, it's definitely a different setup in that, yeah, we see Jim Ross and and Missy Hyatt. I don't think they're actually there, but we see them green screened in yeah. uh, with, the, with the arena in the background. But yeah, we that's a good point. We never actually see Michael Hayes with Jim Ross. Norman with a clothesline, and then he hits a one-foot drop kick, which I was not ready for. No, a drop. Uh, my notes are Norman with a drop kick of sorts. And I think of sorts <laughs> is the best way to describe this. As far as big man drop kicks, this is no Jim the Anvil Nightheart 80s drop kick. After missing a charge in the corner, we get a couple of uh, Buddy Lee Parker moves, beating on Norman, but he quickly makes a comeback with a backdrop, hits a leg drop, and then a sunset flip attempt, and he gets cut off, and I ass- the tape well, gets cut get off. Cut off. The, the tape gets cut off. The tape Norman gets cut off. I assume he won, but uh, we just well, go right back to Jim Ross and Missy Hyatt. Not which- only do we assume that Norman won, I am livid. I am irate. My eyes are red. They're bulging out of my head because not only is the finish cut off, it is obvious what the finish is going to be. It is going to be Norman the Lunatic countering a sunset flip with a northern exposure, a sit-out ass splash, if you will, and we don't get to see it. A criminal offense by whoever recorded this show. Yeah, so we're back to Jim Ross and Missy Hyatt. Uh, we're mad we we were robbed of a Northern exposure, but uh, uh, I'm sorry, Missy Hyatt is always an upgrade over uh, anything I'm watching. Uh, particularly over show. Norman the Lunatic and Buddy Lee Parker on my screen. I will definitely take that alternative. By the way, I wouldn't say I saw anything in this match from Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker that would tell me this is the guy WCW should entrust some six or seven years later to train their future stars. To run the power plant and be their head trainer? How? How? how like, he, he was yell. always jobber plus. And, he, was always, he was always jobber plus. And, but he had never, never stood out as, a, like, there was always like the, you know, hey, Brad Armstrong's a really good wrestler, even though he's jobber plus a lot of the yes. time. But there was never this clamoring about what a great wrestler buddy lee parker was no there were and yeah there were guys in wcw you'd watch us in that jobber plus role i think of another guy mark Starr, who would then go on to have the kind of the jobber plus tag team with chris canyon men at work like mark Starr was a guy who thought oh maybe they could do something with that guy i don't think anyone ever looked at sergeant buddy lee parker and said you know it's a shame that guy never got a run at the tv title for example or it's <laughs> no. a shame uh the state patrol never got a u.s tag title run we then get a recap of Clash of Champions 10, where the Horsemen, represented by Ole Anderson, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, and Sting, they're in the ring to confront Sting. Who is the- a member of the Horsemen. Just to reiterate, yes. this is during a what would otherwise seem, if you're parachuting in and don't know what's going on, a very strange time period with the Horsemen where they are baby faces with sting as a part of the group with rick flair arn anderson and somehow baby face Ole anderson in late 1989 early 1990 it seemed destined to explode like a powder keg and that's exactly what it did yeah they're baby faces because sting and flair had the common enemy of the uh the jtex corporation here they were feuding with uh, Buzz Sawyer and Great Muda and Terry Funk, and so they, this was, uh, you know, they 
the the common enemies bringing together uh, the horsemen and and Sting becoming a member of the horsemen and the, them working together. So here, uh, Sting gets a chance to get a world title match. The world champion is Ric Flair, and Sting's uh, got an opportunity to get a title match. And so obviously the horsemen are like, well, you're going to have to give up that that championship opportunity. And Sting's like, no way, uh, not happening. And Ole sets up this confrontation. And Ole says, you need to give up that chance of the world title. And when he says no, he says, you aren't a horseman. He goes to walk away. Sting grabs him. And he turns around and Flair sucker punches Sting. He's screaming at him. Get out of that contract. Get out of this business. Get out of our lives. Later in that, uh, later in that show, after the Horsemen win their cage match, uh, Flair went charging after Sting as they have a fight and a pull apart in the aisleway. He goes flying over. Tremendous. This is incredible. Like, you think about modern pull-aparts, and a lot of times they don't seem wild and unhinged, and you don't really get the sense that the guys hate each other. Oh, my God. Flair, like, almost somersaults over Sting's shoulders. He runs so fast and jumps so hard after him. This is great. Flair was so good in this promo because Flair wasn't – Flair was convinced that uh, Sting was just going to, like – be like, okay, we're not, we're not gonna fight for the title, or we're well, just friends. He, he was trying to be in in his own Ric Flair way. He thought he was being the good guy here, saying yes. He, he bought Sting more time to make the decision, and he was convinced that Sting would just go along with what he wanted. But he, it's the, it's like the best bad guy, and that he's completely convinced that he's pure. And. And so it, he didn't just attack him, right? Like, it it's one of those, like, Ole is the one who wants nothing to do with Sting. Sting shouldn't be here ever. This no. is completely ridiculous. He's been and looking he's, for a reason to make this happen. He's been looking for the reason, and and he knew he was never going to convince Rick about it And then until this whole thing explodes. And then... When Rick sees that he's not going to get his way, he the the horsemen turn on Sting. I I remember this angle so vividly. Oh my god! And and I'm glad it was as it was it was even better watching it back here because I could I could pay attention to the nuances on second third probably tenth viewing uh, uh, of how good Rick was here, how good Arn was here, and and Oli. Being Oli was tremendous. This was a and Sting being like shocked, like wait, we're all friends, guys. Why, why, why do, why do we have to do this? It'll be just a fun sport. It, we're just gonna have a, a, a match. It's no big deal. Uh, best man wins. Uh, Babyface fighting uh, champion type of thing here. It was tremendous. I loved every every bit of it. Well, and it also works so well too because this is the first of what would become the longest running theme in story in Sting's career, which is having terrible judgment in who he should trust. He, <laughs> yes. he trusted Ric Flair, who had been his adversary, his opponent, but also helped make him uh, in that match in the Clash of Champions 1 in 1988. And he thought that for you know whatever Ric Flair had done in the past and the diabolical characters that, uh, that aren't and particularly Ole were, he thought he had a genuine bond with Ric Flair that could see through all that and they, they could get along and this could continue. And to your point, he did not have any inkling in his mind that him getting a title shot against Ric Flair could cause these problems. Flair doesn't want to defend the title against Sting, but also, at least in the moment, seems to not want for this to become a thing, you know, something that was going to drive a wedge between them. And so he's try he says, I bought you more time, but do the right thing walk away from this title shot. We can all go on and we can keep this going. But then when Sting basically says no, and then Ole grabs him and Flair pops him, then Flair not only is saying, walk away from this title shot, he said, get out of this sport, run away and don't come back, which again, in his own Ric Flair way, in his mind, the character Ric Flair is saving 
his friend Sting by saying, get out. I'm beating up right now. Never come back. Um, that's obviously not to be, though. We get a, a horseman promo talking about this incident. Would you get Sting to sign this? I'm going to puke. I've always been myself. I don't want to tell anybody out there that I'm John Wayne and I've got on a big white hat and I'm going to do the right thing. What I'm going to do, like they're going to do, is exactly what we want. Sting, you wanted to be there in the limelight. You wanted to get elevated. But we said, hey, Stinger, let's go to the party. Let's make an appearance like we want to make. Then it was, no, I got to get to bed. I got to get a nap. I got to get up in the morning and train. Well, pal, as you laid there garbling, swallowing your own spit, all that training and all those stingers help you. Not a chance. Tell them, Nate. Let me ask you something real calm. Why would a man pay $2,000 for a custom-made suit if he couldn't tell a punk like you and the whole world that he had it on? I've had it up to here. I think kids are great. Everybody ought to have five or six. But they got nothing to do with this sport. This is professional wrestling. And Satan, you, my friend, and Ric Flair have got a difference of opinion a mile long. Greensboro, North Carolina, you don't like what happened to you? You don't like paying the price? Then walk that aisle, punk. I'll paint it up and shut this mouth. We're talking the World Championship. It's owned, operated, motivated and designed by me after all of that greatness we go to the ring and we see the mod squad who are still around we i believe that they've been on shows we reviewed from like 1987 world championship wrestling uh they're still around here in 1990 and they are a jobber tag team and they're... I'm not prepared to have to watch the Mod Squad after that Horseman promo, which, by the way, it cut off at the end of the promo on our tape, which enraged me to no end. But after seeing the greatness that was this Horseman promo, particularly Ric Flair saying, I think kids are great. Every Everyone should have five or six, <laughs> but they have no place in professional wrestling. When talking about the Little Stingers, I lost it. Ric Flair... <laughs> A god among men here. Arn Anderson in the background talking about, as you heard, like if I have to have one more kid ask for my autograph, I'm going to puke. I don't want to be a good guy. Good Lord, the horsemen were incredible here. And we go from that highest the of highs squad. to the mod squad. Who be- I don't know if there's ever been a team that I've seen that belonged more in like 1989 Continental or late 87, early 88 AWA than what we get from the mod squad here in 1990. Somehow in WCW, it's spike and basher and they're taking on returning to the NWA, the rock and roll express. Thank God. Uh, I was like, Oh, what are we going to have to sit through? Thank God. It's the rock and roll express. They come out and they are as popular as ever. Yes. The, This place is losing their minds for the rock and rolls. And again, we're told it's going to be the Rock and Roll Express taking on the Midnight Express at WrestleWar. I'm two matches in. This show sounds amazing. I want to watch this show. Yes, the WrestleWar 1990 pay-per-view sounds incredible from so far what we've heard on here. Also, have we not yet had a Rock and Roll Express versus Midnight Express match on this podcast through four seasons in the bonus feed? I don't think we've gotten a proper Midnight Express Rock and Roll Express match yet. That is shocking, if so, and dare I say, appalling. I thought we got one from a clash, like a U.S. tag title match from a clash. I I thought Um, that was uh, Midnight's and the Southern Boys. Mm, that might be that might be what I'm that thinking. Awesome of. Midnight Southern Boys match. Yep, that's what I'm um, thinking of. Yeah. So no, yeah, I guess we, we have need, not. 
even if we've had one, we need a lot more of Rock and Roll no, Express. No, because what we got, Express. we did uh, 1986 Starcade, so we did oh, get the Skywalker yes. match with them, oh, so it doesn't count. count. doesn't like, count. Let's take all the great qualities of the two best tag teams of the era and put them in a match where none of those matter and none of those can be on display. That's why I don't remember that, because it was not a true Rock and Roll's Midnight match. No. Uh, after a big tackle by... Bash Basher of the Mod yes. Squad. Spike uh, and Basher. Uh, one of them is worse. I apologize. I can't remember which, but like one of them is competent. The other is like barely trained yet somehow in his fourth year in the National Wrestling Alliance. So after this tackle, Ricky Morton's first move is going to the top rope and hitting a crossbody for two. Yes, very early on. I thought that might actually be the... Uh, it might actually be the finish. I also love how Michael Hayes calls the Rock and Roll Express counterfeit Freebirds. Um, so the Mod Squads continue to be boring in this match. Uh, Basher misses a splash, but holds the leg to continue to get the heat on Morton. Oh my God. They get the heat on Ricky Morton for what felt like an hour and a half in this one hour TV show. They cut him off. And cut him off and cut him off. And it is not entertaining. Basher is short and doughy. Spike is bigger and a bit more solid. I think he's the better of the two. But man, like, my only take on this match as we're going through it is why are the Rock and Roll Express selling so much for the mod squad? I know that's what the Rock and Roll Express do. They sell. But come on, we saw that match with. Uh, was it for the Boogie Jam show? Rock and Roll Express against, against Oli and Arn, um, where whatever show that was, where like they're the baby faces. Oli and Arn are the heels, and the Rock and Rolls are on offense for like the first 20 minutes of that match, it felt like. But here they're selling from go. Yeah, that was a Starcade tag match, right? That was yes. a Starcade tag title match. Which was yeah, awesome, that... but awesome. weird. Yeah, here, way too much selling, way too boring. Uh, Gibson finally makes a hot tag, and he runs wild on the Mod Squad. Morton blind tags back in as Mod Squad Spike backdrops Gibson. Morton rolls up Spike and gets the pin. So they, the Mod Squad had a ton of offense and got a ton of heat on Ricky Morton. They did not win with their double dropkick finisher. They won with a roll-up, <laughs> escaping from here. And and now I'm concerned that, that uh, their match with the Midnight Express, they might not be at that level. Yeah. To, uh, to, so to be... <laughs> my take from this match on a kayfabe level is Rock and Roll Express are going to have a hard time defeating the Midnight Express. What happened in their time away from the NWA that it took them yes. this long and it was that much of a fluke win to defeat the mod squad i think we may have finally found a match to rival that awa 1987 tag team match where marty Jannetty of the midnight rockers oh. was selling and selling and he's still selling, selling. He's, he's still is selling and he will be selling after you're done with this show this is probably the closest that we've gotten to that it may not have gotten all the way there but there were had to have been six or seven times where Ricky Morton was getting beat down, is about to make the hot tag to Robert Gibson, and then Spike or Basher cut him off like in the exact same way every time. I salute the men, women, and particularly children of Cobb County and their civic center for staying with us. They were red hot chanting rock and roll during all these heat segments. So I guess who am I to complain? But man, not the most watchable Rock and Roll Express match I've ever seen, and it's not their fault. Gordon Soley talks to Sting, and Gordon says, not since Pearl Harbor has there been a double cross like this. It's even better. The direct quote, because I wrote it down. <laughs> I rewound it to make sure I had it correct. And we love Gordon Soley. We are a we Gordon do. Soley Appreciation Society for the most part in this podcast. But he starts this interview by saying, direct quote, not since Pearl Harbor has a nation or individual been double-crossed like this. I lost it. I so love you, Gordon Sully. This was amazing. Uh, so Sting beat Ric Flair at Starcade in that round-robin tournament. 
And that was where the seed of doubt was planted in the back of, of Flair's mind that if they did have a match, he couldn't beat him. Perfectly uh, logical. I loved Sting adding this in in this interview. It was tremendous. Uh, he says he's going to win the world title. We get a ruse commercial. These, These are, are amazing. Shoes for your feet. Pockets for your stuff. For those who don't remember what ruse were. Like kangaroos, uh, because they have a pouch. Uh, ruse, the shoes, have like little little zipper pockets on the shoes. What I always think is that I like my marketing when it needs an explanation. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's what ruse are. It needed that explanation. Um, it's one of those that if you did not grow up in the 80s, this will not make any sense to you. But if you were a kid, you desperately wanted Ruse. Ruse were a big sponsor of WCW for a brief period of time. And so we get this wacky Sting commercial for Ruse. We get the Road Warriors commercial for Ruse. We have around this time on pay-per-views, we will have Ruse uh, like uh, corner padding around the ring padding yeah. covers. Uh, they were everywhere including on wcw programming these commercials were ridiculous they were great i'm so glad that these were kept in on this video file i wanted a pair of ruse so bad and the way that shoes worked at my house was uh uh are are they covering your feet are your feet exposed and the exposure of your foot has to be more than 30 percent uh because just a hole or two in the shoes not good enough to warrant a new pair of shoes Same uh, here. your your foot had to be hanging out of the shoe for us to have to go get you a new pair of shoes so me running to my parents and saying <laughs> gotta get a pair of ruse was met with uh those shoes look fine yeah. <laughs> so well, never a got a pair of ruse is there a legitimate safety reason why you need new shoes could a now puncture your foot if not you're wearing those shoes no ruse for you yeah so uh ruse um, i i've never met i i know a lot of friends who remember this time period of ruse but i don't know anyone who actually owned a pair it's a very good point i remember wanting one but also curiously enough never seeing anyone in class where no. <laughs> it wasn't like that. Do you remember British Knights BKs were like no, of that? Of course. Yeah, then, BKs were, ones, were everywhere. What were the ones where you could pump them up and that was supposed to do something and had the pump like Yeah, those were uh, those were Nikes. Yeah, the, okay, the Nike, they, were, the... I feel like it was something I feel like British Knights had those as well. Whichever one it was, I remember like never being able to get those and being so like I remember thinking I could just be a good basketball player. <laughs> If I could have the shoes that pump, because the ones I remember wanting like had a little basketball oh, yeah. logo. Reebok, on the had, yeah, like everyone had. Once Nike put it out, then yes. like Reebok had the uh, ones where you could pump up the little basketball I and think stuff. That yeah. was the one I wanted. Was yeah. the Reebok ones where you could pump up the little basketball. I remember yep. going to the shoe store and trying them on and doing it and just thinking like I could be cool if it was. Oh, only... I can feel the difference. I can I... feel the difference. Yes. The air in the shoe. How I've like... been living without air in my shoe. Exactly the... how. Yeah. <laughs> it's what a what a scam but man i wanted it if you are a listener of this podcast and if you had a pair of ruse we want to hear about it yes. make sure you're interacting with the show via twitter at wrestle at random also instagram at wrestle at random as well uh please send us a message tell us if you owned a pair of ruse because uh, we loved them, but never knew anyone that had one. So and definitely want to hear from you. If you're watching this show on YouTube, as many people do, leave a comment. As we always a say, interact with, YouTube. The, interact with the show on YouTube, as we've said from the beginning. That's right. Please do that as well. Uh, if you, prefer, Even if you are an audio consumer of this podcast, throwing us a subscribe over at uh, the YouTube channel helps us a, a, a ton. So please do that as well. Um, we go back to this show after the commercial. We're told about the Skyscrapers Chicago Street Fight against the Road Warriors at WrestleWar. It's going to be uh, Dangerous Danny Spivey and Mean Mark Callis, the yes. future Undertaker, uh, an awesome incarnation of the skyscrapers. Yes, and one that's all, that's largely forgotten because I think everyone thinks of Danny Spivey and Sid and Vicious, Sid Vicious. As the skyscrapers. Yeah. But here, it's Danny Spivey 
Mean Mark Callis, who we did see once as Mean Mark Callis on this podcast. It might have been earlier this season or in season three. And they are managed by Teddy Long. Yes. So so this sounds awesome. A street fight with those guys and the Road Warriors at Wrestle War. This card is shit. I... I am so close to watching Wrestle War on my own here yes. without uh, w- w- without the randomizer picking it because this card is sounding so stacked. We'll yeah, it's we'll got get to it later. Some some serious hook it directly into my veins qualities. This is a a mean guys tag match, big tough burly guys, and we get a promo from Dangerous Danny Spivey, Mean Mark Callis, and Teddy Long. Danny Spivey. Not a great promo here, but oh my God, Teddy Long bopping around during this tremendous is a treasure. We then get the Road Warriors with Paul Ellering, who uh, am I alone in thinking Paul Ellering's not a good promo? He's not. And it's very strange because every single promo he's ever done, it gets about 80% of the way to being really good. Yes. And then at some point, he loses his place or he says something weird like here. The babyface manager of the Road Warriors decides to draw inspiration from and directly quote Arn Anderson by name. You you said it so eloquently. He gets eighty percent of the way there, and then yeah, I he always like I feel like he fumbles on the goal line, and then we we never you don't remember it being a good promo because he just doesn't get there. Um, It's also unnecessary because Animal wasn't a great promo. But Hawk was an awesome, weird, loud, snarling, strange promo that did not need a manager talking for him. No, the Road Warriors were perfect Road Warriors promo guys. Yes. Like they, they, they did a, exactly, and they said in this promo that it's gut check time. We go back to uh, Missy Hyatt, who tells us the Road Warriors have never lost. A Chicago street fight. She did research, she said, and she was very proud of herself, and I am proud of Missy as well. Yes, I she Missy is me when I do research for this podcast, and I'm (laughs) proud of it. There you go. We then hear the theme song from the movie Halloween, and we know what's coming. It's the SST, the Wild Samoans teaming with the Samoan Savage, managed by your favorite, the Hump. Sir Oliver Humperdinck. Yes, I had forgotten. This is maybe the only acceptable Sir Oliver Humperdinck managing run. I actually did not mind him with the Samoan SWAT team. And you you said it with the entrance music. One of the best, scariest entrances. Tremendous. I remember as a kid being like nine years old, eight, nine years old, watching the SST with this music and being legit scared of them. Um, you will see in the GIF for this week's show, if you haven't already, it is the SST uh, coming down to the ring, uh, being scary. And, man, this is just – it's right up there with uh, – I would say the only entrance music that, to me, was more ominous than this, an entrance overall, would have been uh, in the Thunderdome cage match when Great Muda and Terry Funk came out. Terry Funk first had that great uh, western theme kind of ominous music and then the music that Muda had in WCW – this was close to that. Yeah, I, I put that mood of music on my Mount Rushmore, I think. It's, uh, I'm with you. It, it's, it's right up there. It's like so the lightning, good. like the thunder sounds, and just, yeah. the, just that feeling of unease as Muda comes out with Gary Hart. Just a perfect act all around. Their opponents, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and the Road Warriors. Here comes an ominous theme song. I love hearing... Iron Man from Black Sabbath as the Road Warriors come out. But no, instead they come out to Dr. Death's song, Bad to the Bone, not Iron Man. Boo, bad choice. (laughs) Otherwise, yeah, it would be okay. But when you have the Road Warriors and you know what their theme song is at this point in the NWA, uh, not the right choice. But man, I'm happy with the randomizer here because we talked about it with uh, the potential of the Road Warriors and the Skyscrapers. It's the same thing here with Dr. Death, the Road Warriors against the Samoan SWAT team and the Samoan Savage. This is a mean guys match. They're going to throw each other around. No quarter will be given or taken. I am hyped for this main event of the main event. Me too. We get 
Dr. Death and the Samoan Savage starting out. Dr. Death press slams him over his head. This is a big dude. And he immediately starts by press slamming him over his head twice. twice. The first two moves of the match. The first two moves of the match. Uh, also, we should point out Jim Ross was incredible throughout this yes. entire show. This is peak Jim Ross, like Mid-South Jim Ross through, like, to me, 92, 93. If you've only ever heard him in the WWF, WWE, yes, he was great in his own way there, but you missed out if you did not see and hear this era of Jim Ross. He has one of the best lines, one of the best descriptions of a pro wrestling match that I've ever heard in my life. He says, direct quote, this match is like someone walking through a house full of explosives smoking a cigarette. Tremendous. The perfect description of this. He then tells us that Dr. Death is going to challenge Lex Luger for the United States title at Wrestle War, which this card continues to get better. So Sign me up. 90 Lex Luger against Dr. Dr. Death to throw everyone around? Hell yeah. For the U.S. title, and then, of course, Sting and Ric Flair for the heavyweight title. This show is stacked. So we've got Animal in with Fatu. Each man power slams each other. Hawk gets in, and he has a quick flurry, but a super kick from Samu cuts Hawk off. They they start triple-teaming him in the corner. It's very much of the triple-teams. It's mostly... Double teams, the majority of this match, as it should be, is Samu and Fatu, the actual Samoan SWAT team. I feel like we don't get a lot of Samoan Savage here, and that's for the fine. Best. It's yeah. it's for the best. Also, this is noteworthy in that the early seasons of this podcast were kind of stealthily a Fatu slash making a <laughs> yes. difference Fatu slash Rikishi podcast. It's been a long time, but here... Fatu, I think, in his peak form as a terrifying member of the Samoan SWAT team, uh, this is far different than think of these two men as baby faces on Monday Night Raw in, was it 93 or 94, that episode we did a while back, managed by Captain Lou Albano? This is far more fitting for them here as scary heels. Yeah, in in the back episodes, uh, they won the tag team titles against the Quebecers on an episode of Raw. You can hear us review. Open an episode of Raw. But here we get uh, the triple teaming, more double teaming in the corner, and then Samu. Double punches. I have to mention those double punches. Samu and Fatou, they're in the corner throwing punches. It's not like one's throwing, the other's throwing at the same time over and over and over again. It's almost like the forerunner in a tag team way of Austin stomping a mud hole into somebody because they do it. And it just slowly beats them down into the mat to where you almost expect them to get go through the bottom of the mat and just disappear. Just great intensity from the SST. Samu hits the big splash off the top, which is their finish. Yes. And Animal has to come in to break up the pin. It quickly breaks down with all six men pairing off. Fatu accidentally super kicks Samu. Hawk comes off the top, hits the clothesline from behind, and gets the three count on Fatu. A wild top rope clothesline that I think Hawk didn't realize he was gonna going to have to jump as far across the ring as he did uh, to make uh, contact with Samu because he really has to reach out, and it almost seemed like he hurt himself a little bit, but I liked that. Almost nothing about this match looked clean or crisp. No, it was six big, mean, scary guys throwing each other around. And it's like this match and what you just described. It was the the prime difference between the NWA slash WCW and the WWF even back then. When I watched WWF as a kid, like everything looked so clean and it almost looked too clean. I'm talking on the execution of the moves. I'm not even talking on angles or or backstage stuff, whereas watching the NWA, stuff looked like a struggle. Sometimes stuff didn't go perfectly planned, but that made it feel more, it made it easier to buy into. I feel like this entire match and that finish uh, was emblematic of that. No, and it was the it was the exact level of chaos that you yes. wanted. Perfect and word. 
that led to the the confusion and even it looked like Fatu might have kicked out yes. right at three. Yeah, the three point one kick out from Fatu. Yeah, so this was everything you wanted because the chaos would continue as the skyscrapers immediately hit the ring and attack the Road Warriors after the match. This was a, a tremendous main event for main event. Yes. And Jim Ross then tells us that uh, uh, we then it, it's it's like a weird edited inserted thing afterwards. It's clearly um, inserted. It, it's not the same green screened in background they had earlier on of the crowd. It's it's a similar shot but different. And Jim Ross is he's not wearing a suit jacket. He's he's both understated and yet quietly almost frantic at the same time, which fits what's going on here, what you're about to lay out the news that's breaking at the end of the show that will have major ramifications on wrestle war 90. Jim Ross tells us that at the, after the clash of the champions, the horsemen have attacked sting and sting is out. He's getting a knee operation. They have no idea how long sting will be out but he will not be able to wrestle Ric Flair in the main event for the world's championship. Uh, what really happened was in that clash, Sting was climbing the cage and tore up his knee uh, while climbing the cage, and he is legit out after needing that knee operation and wasn't going to be able to do that. This threw that amazing card into shambles as uh, the Dr. Death-Lex Luger matches off. Uh, Luger gets moved to the main event spot where he would take on Ric Flair and lose for the heavyweight title. Uh, that Skyscrapers Road Warriors match. Uh, mean Marcellus was out, and so they replaced him with a masked Skyscraper. It was uh, Mean. Uh, it was uh, Mike Enos oh, wow. uh, under Thank a mask. Beverly brother. Yeah, under a mask as uh, uh, the fill-in there. So like the whole this whole card uh, started to fall apart. So what sounded so awesome never materialized, and uh, we uh, so we we got uh, we missed out on three of the matches we were excited about. There. And not only did we miss out on that, but Sting's eventual title reign when he came back from injury, while the the victory which we've reviewed on this podcast before was a great moment once he won the title at the great american bash like the the rain did not take off sting didn't draw it kind of felt like the moment had passed and they had to quit relatively quickly move the title back to rick flair so it's also a big what if and because having to move because that was also wasn't that then the luger flair blood stoppage uh, finish at WrestleWar 90 where Flair had Luger or Luger had Flair uh, beat, but he was bleeding and the referee called it. <laughs> I, I don't remember the finish. Uh, I don't remember how that ended, but uh, yeah, for sure it was. Uh, it ended with Lex Babyface Lex Luger not winning the title here, uh, which is also uh, a, a, a choice and so. foreshadowing for what would happen with Lex Luger <laughs> challenging for a world title as a babyface. <laughs> And not winning the title a couple of years later. Yeah, this main event show did a tremendous job catching us up on where we were with all of the feuds, getting us ready for Wrestle War, getting this this going, and then having to pivot at the end. This was a great job by by main event in getting done what it needed to get done and not being the Saturday show, right? This is yeah. the Sunday show, and uh, this was uh, this was great. I, it exceeded my expectations. Yeah, same here. I was excited to watch it just based on the curiosity factor of going back and watching a show in an era that I hadn't watched in a long time, generally with this you know early 1990 NWA. Um, but yeah, for not being the A show, they did a great job, particularly given they had to do a few things. There was recapping what had just happened at the clash and then finding a way to uh, get everyone updated on the major news that had broke about Singh being injured, uh, you know, and everything else along the way was fun. I mean, I think as far as a favorite thing for me, there's a lot of good stuff on this, but the, the main event, I just love the wild chaotic nature of it. Um, it felt like one of those, wild brawls that you would see in japan whether it be in all japan or new japan in the 80s or early 90s where it's in japan but it's 
six guys from the U.S. or four guys from the U.S. just having a big, crazy brawl. This had that chaos and danger that you didn't necessarily often see uh, in the U.S. And, and the way the show was, I guess, originally planned to go off the air with the skyscrapers coming out and everybody brawling was a great way to send people home leading into uh, what would have been the card for Russell War 90. Yeah, tremendous. Uh, uh, I agree 100% that was the best thing on this show. Uh, worst thing on this show for you? Uh, well, uh, to me, clearly the worst thing on the show was it cutting off the uh, the northern exposure, <laughs> the sure. counter northern exposure that we would have had from Norman. But uh, to me, the only real answer is the mod squad and Correct. how long they got the heat on Ricky Morton. It was just it was too much. No, you are correct. Uh, honorable mention to not using uh, Black Sabbath, Iron Man for uh, uh, for the Road Warriors entrance uh, as a as a worse thing. But uh, yeah, no, that was the, the Mod Squad. Just ugh, no thanks. No, they and, weren't. Uh, they weren't entertaining in 1987 on that promo that we had from World Championship Wrestling, and they had not picked anything up in the uh, intervening three years. No, but uh, overall, a, a a great show, a fun watch, exactly why we do this podcast. And Definitely. we do this podcast every single week, The Randomizer, picking a show for us to watch. Uh, sometimes it picks things that aren't a full show. Sometimes it picks things that are just a match or two and things that are weird and don't really fit into this feed. Um, that's where we have our Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestling at random. There we do bonus shows every single Thursday. We do an additional episode of this podcast. They're only exclusively for bonus feed members. You can sign up there at patreon.com slash wrestling at random. Or if Apple Podcasts is your podcatcher of choice, there's a subscribe button right there. As soon as you click it, you unlock over 100 additional episodes of this podcast that you've never heard of. They're all waiting for you in the bonus feed as well. So that's another way you can support the show if... You can't support the show financially in these times. We understand the other way to support the show is to tell your wrestling fan friends about the show. Make sure you're following us on social media at wrestle at random for both Instagram and Twitter, facebook.com slash wrestling at random as well. And with that, we are going to call it a podcast. So Adam, thank you for joining us. Yes. Thank you, Jeremy. And thank you, randomizer for checking off. Maybe the final box of NWA slash WCW as far as unique television shows. Um, I don't know, maybe they can get us an episode of WCW Pro Chicago, a hyper-local uh, WCW show at some point. But no, this was very fun. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you again next time.